Yeah, thank you. Uh, you guys, uh, you, maybe you picked up the theme on the songs that we chose for tonight that they carry with them. Uh, this, this sense of looking, uh, looking towards God, looking towards Him in days of, of challenge and trial and hardship. We will feast in the house of Zion is as much a promise as much as it is a hope that uh, we, won't be, uh, we won't be overcome by the flood. We won't be burned by the fire because a lot of times in the midst of life, we go through trials and hardships and difficulties. Uh, even that first song, which is probably new to a lot of you, I Love That Will Not Let Me Go, was written by a pastor uh, on the night that his, his younger sister was getting married and he was performing the ceremony for her. Uh, she had asked him you know, to perform the ceremony. Uh, he obviously loved his sister, but he was reflecting back on a love that he had in his life of uh, a young lady whenever he was engaged. And for various reasons, she turned her back and decided that she did not want to be married to him. And by that season of life, he realized he was probably going to spend the rest of his life single. And in his study, preparing for uh, the ceremony that he was about to perform, sat down and reflected on the promise of the gospel that God's love will not let me go. And he found great comfort in the hope that's in Christ. Uh, there's a reason why we chose those songs tonight, because we're leading ourselves into a passage uh, with the, in the book of First Kings surrounding Elijah's life, uh, where Elijah and the folks that he comes and encounters in this story uh, will be going through hardships, trials, uncertainties, and are trusting in the word of the Lord to be true as they look towards him. So let's read together. First Kings uh, chapter 17. I'm just going to read it through. Uh, hopefully you have it on the sheet in front of you. And then the word of the Lord came to him. That's Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And she was going to bring it. And he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread that is in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again. And he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, we 
ask that even tonight as we consider your word and as we reflect on our own lives and our relationship to you, uh, that you'll convince us that the word that we read tonight is truth and that it'll lead us uh, directly to your throne room where we will see you high and lifted up and give us great hope in the work of Christ on our behalf. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I grew up in the 90s. I'm going to go ahead and date myself tonight. Uh, when TV shows were not what they are today. Like we had TV shows back then like Full House, uh, Family Matters, Saved by the Bell. Uh, these, these shows that like were supposed to capture some of the like uh, they weren't reality by any stretch of the imagination, but they were supposed to, to capture what life was like in particular for somebody who's like a teenager in that era. And within 30 minutes with a little bit of a commercial break, you would find this like trial and hardship that was supposed to be reflective of like what you would go through in like middle school or high school, something like encountering a bully at school. And you're trying to figure out how do I, how do I go back to school when there's this bully there? Uh, how do I deal with the acne that now has propped up right before prom and like my life's going to fall apart? Um, or there's this girl or this boy who doesn't notice me, right? And like they come home and they're so upset and they talk to their parents and like within 30 minutes, they give them some like little word of advice and everything ends up like perfectly resolved. Like everybody's happy. The friendship's resolved. The boy or the girl finally notices them. Or spoiler alert, the boy or the girl was really bad news and it turned out it was good they didn't notice you, right? Like, ooh, that was a good one. Um, uh, the acne resolved and prom went okay. But like there was this sense in which it's like within 30 minutes, you're like, ooh, and everybody lived happily ever after and there's no more problems and we can go on about our day. And there's something about that type of, of view of life. I think sometimes we can come to the Bible, especially when we read a passage like this tonight, that it feels so like nice and tidy and we you know, we kind of come to this little challenge and trial and difficulty that Elijah experiences, but it all ends up being okay. And I want to, I want to kind of disavow us from that reality and, and kind of enter into the drama of the moment of what's happening in first Kings 17, as God's calling Elijah into this relationship uh, with this widow who he encounters. And I want you to see tonight through this, as we kind of enter into this story that God uses trials in our life to draw us back to himself and to show us his power and his provision. God uses trials in our life, the very difficult things that you're going through right now. God has designed them specifically for a purpose and for a reason, and it's to draw our attention back to him so that we can see how he provides and the power that he has to sustain us through it. So let's jump in. The first thing I want you to see tonight is how God provides in unexpected ways. One of the things that's so cool about Elijah's story is that God provides in unexpected ways, in the ways that we would least expect. God loves to do this throughout the Bible, but especially in Elijah's life. If you were here last week, you know that we started the story of Elijah, where Elijah confronted the king of Israel. Israel, the, the king of Israel was supposed to be a faithful representation of God himself ruling over the people. And Ahab, who was the king, was unbelievably wicked and evil and sinful. It even said that he was more wicked than all the wicked kings who had come before him. And Elijah came and then confronted the king of Israel, Ahab, and told him there's going to be no more rain or dew for the next like several years until the word of the Lord comes back through Elijah. And after that, God called Elijah to leave Ahab's presence and to go and hide in the wilderness. And God told him, I'll feed you by the birds of the air, the ravens, and you'll drink from the water and the brook. And we were already sort of prepared 
that God is providing for Elijah in some unexpected ways. It's like scavenger birds. Scavenger birds don't normally come and provide food for you, right? Because they're scavengers. They eat their own stuff, right? But this is obviously a miraculous thing that God is doing in the life of Elijah. And when we finished last week in verse 7, I know it's not on the sheet, but we got to, the, got to verse 7 and we, were, we read that the brook from which Elijah was drinking dried up. You know, here's Elijah. There's a drought in the land. The birds are feeding him. God's told him you're going to drink from this brook and the brook has dried up. And I think that right there is a, a good place to just pause for a moment and just consider, you know, we don't, we're not told Elijah's emotional state. We're not told what he was thinking or feeling. He seems to be responding to God in a faithful way, but let's just pause right there for a moment and go, what would life be like if you're Elijah? God has told you, Stay in this place. The birds will feed you and you're going to drink from the brook. And every day as Elijah goes and scoops up the water, it's like he's not he's not dumb. He can see the water is slowly disappearing to the point where like you could imagine him walking to the water and very carefully getting his hands just above the sand to get just enough water so that he can drink and thinking what what's next? And in these moments, whenever there's uncertainty and fear and you're not sure what's next, I think we're presented with an opportunity just right in that moment of going, do we, do we live by fear and panic or do we live by faith? Do we live by fear and panic and go, I can already, like some of you are, and I'm with you, so don't take this the wrong way. Some of you, myself included, we could have a PhD in like catastrophe thinking. I can tell you like all the ways that things can go wrong. I can like just project out like how terrible this is going to be, how I'm going to fail this class and I'm going to fail out of college. I'm not going to get a job. I'm going to be homeless. Like, like there's a way in which we can catastrophize events and, and all of a sudden things spiral out of control. Or we can go back to the promises that God has made to us and say, will you be faithful to what I've called you to do today and trust that I'm going to provide for you? And here's Elijah in that moment of uncertainty is where we jump in into the story today. And here comes God's word to him in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, in the ancient world, this is not a hopeful situation. A widow who's going to feed you or a widow who's going to provide for you is a massive contradiction in ideas because a widow in the ancient world is, is an utterly destitute, broken existence. It's a very much a hopeless experience. There's no night school in, in this ancient world for a widow to go and like get her nursing degree and go back and get a second career and provide for her family. She's not going to go and learn computer programming at night to be able to get a second job. She's not going to like put her family's secret recipes and become like a viral sensation on TikTok because of like what, the, like this is a like dirt under your fingernails existence. And so when God's telling Elijah, go to Zarephath, I've commanded a widow to provide for you. Like, are you kidding? But okay. And so here goes Elijah in verse 10. How does he respond? So he arose, went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And it's almost like maybe in that moment, Elijah could be thinking to himself, like, maybe, maybe she inherited a fortune. Maybe her husband was independently wealthy. And this is the widow that's going to provide for me. So he calls out to her. I'm not sure how God's going to provide. 
he calls out to her and asks her, bring me a little water in this vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he says to her, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And here comes the punchline in verse 12. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering sticks. I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow. <laughs> you're in a, in a drought-stricken land. You're in the midst of a famine. Here's the lady that's going to provide for you. Just enough ingredients to provide two cakes of bread, as it were, for her and her son. They're like preparing the last meal so that we can eat it and go and die. God is working in unexpected ways. Uh, not only is there now just two people, but now there's three. <laughs> not only is there just the, the widow and her son, but now there's Elijah to add into this equation. And I love how in that moment of this unexpected way that God provides, the very first words that come out of Elijah's mouth are the words that you and I so often need to hear. Do not fear. Do not fear. How often did, does God come with that command? How often does Jesus say, do not worry about tomorrow? Do not fear. And there's a reason behind that command, do not fear. We're going to get to it in a minute for us today. But even in this season with Elijah's life, he's telling this widow, do not fear because he's coming to her with a hopeful message. And it, the hopeful message is that God's word is trustworthy and he is going to provide ultimately through her. And it seems like a harsh, it seems like a harsh response that he has because he says, as the Lord your God lives, or she says, uh, he says, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. When you read that, it sounds a little selfish. Like she's like, I'm getting ready to go make my last meal. And Elijah's like, yeah, here you make something for me first, (laughs) provide for me first. And you're kind of like, that seems kind of weird, right? But I want you to see how this passage is really unfolding because this isn't Elijah being selfish. I think God's doing something pretty remarkable in the heart of this lady, this widow. Because when Elijah says to her, make this for me first, notice what he says right after that. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. In other words, She's being presented with an opportunity. Will you live by faith? Will you live by faith in the promise that God's word is coming to you and stake everything you've got that this is true and this is real? She has to go home and consider for a moment, I have just enough to provide for me and my son. And here comes this prophet who's a man of God, apparently. She's a foreigner. She's not Jewish. Elijah is outside of Israel at this point. Seemingly, she's a Baal worshiper, and he's coming and saying, the word of God is coming to you with a promise. That jar of oil and that flour will not run out. But first, make a cake for me, and then make one for you and for your son. We don't know a lot about her story. I mean, I would assume she probably doesn't have a sophisticated education. She doesn't seem to have a job. She's probably living a very difficult, dependent existence, but she exercises a remarkable amount of faith in that moment that you and I do well to learn from. She takes God's word for what it is, and she goes and she provides for Elijah first and then for herself and her son. She did, verse 15, as Elijah said, she and her household, they ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord 
that he spoke to Elijah. God provides in unexpected ways. And I think it's pretty cool to think about the fact that like every night she probably went back and whenever she got ready to make the next meal to see the same amount of oil in that jar, the same amount of flour in that little container, that it's not like she could look back and see like God's provided sacks of flour and jugs of oil, but every day was a faithful existence that God's provided what she needs for that day in order to move forward and to provide. God provides in unexpected ways. She has staked everything on God's word being true. Now the promise, right, of like the oil not running out and the flour not running out is a specific promise to her into that season. But what you and I can be challenged by that reality is are we willing to stake everything on God's word being true and being faithful to what he's called us to, knowing that he's promised to provide through the means that he's given us through his word? Am I willing to take all the decision-making that's presented before me and stake everything on the reality of God's word being true? knowing that he's going to provide. First thing that we see. Second thing, notice though that even though God provides in unexpected ways, his ways are often perplexing. God provides in unexpected ways, but his ways are often perplexing and it's often confusing and it's often hard to figure out when you're in the middle of it. Verse 16 ends with such a note of optimism and joy. Uh, I just always think, imagine what that house would have been like for the next few days when it's like, man, every day the, the oil hasn't run out, the flowers haven't run out. Like we thought we were about to die. And this is such a hopeful, helpful, optimistic moment. But like pause for a moment and consider where Elijah has been through this whole experience and the way in which he's seen, yeah, he's seen God provide, but it's been a perplexing experience. Uh, last week we saw how Elijah went and he confronted the king of Israel, told him that there's not going to be rain for the next few years. And that was a direct confrontation on the evil of the king. Now, that right there takes an enormous amount of courage because he's going to the king, the most powerful person in the universe, or at least in the known world at that point, and telling him essentially the way that you're living is evil and God is coming with judgment and he has an audience with the king. In some sense, you could probably say it's like a mountaintop experience for Elijah being in that moment of seeing God work through him with the king. But then immediately he goes from the audience of the king, maybe in the palace itself, God saying, go out to the wilderness and that's where the birds are going to feed you. And day by day, you're going to be dependent on these birds feeding you, drinking water from the brook, and you're going to go from there to this widow and live in an utter uh, dependent lifestyle on somebody who doesn't have the resources, someone who's not rich, someone who's not wealthy, someone whose cabinets are empty, she is gonna provide for you. It's incredible the way in which Elijah is going through these ups and downs and trials and God's working in a perplexing manner. You can call them whatever you want, trials, hardships, afflictions, difficult situations, right? Whatever you wanna call them. Some of you already know some of your stories uh, some of you already know some of the things that, that, that I've dealt with even in, in the past couple of weeks, right? Like in a sense, at the, even at this point in the semester, a lot of us are in the middle of trials, the middle of hardships, the middle of uncertainties, the middle of, of, of frustrations and things that are just difficult and, and hard to figure out. And not every trial that we experience is going to unfold in the way that we hope that it will. Not every difficult situation is like just automatically going to magically be okay the way that we hope that it'll be okay. 
to use like my 90s like sitcom like analysis going back to like what I told you about the TV shows we used to watch back in the day uh, the, the boy or the girl may not notice you uh, the cool kids may not invite you to come and sit at the lunch table, right? Like the acting may not clear up my prom. Like, you know, like those are like the, the silly examples, but the real challenges and difficulties that we face really are real. That in a lot of ways, the hardships and the trials of life, right now, it's uncertain. But here's what is a promise, and here's what is certain, is that God is with you through those trials. He has promised he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not let you go. And even in the midst of those trials, he has a point and he has a purpose and he's leading you through it in order to show you more of himself. He's doing it with Elijah. He's doing it with this widow that at that point, she would look back and see how God has been faithful day in and day out every time that she goes and makes a meal. It's why whenever the promise of the Messiah was coming, he was called Emmanuel, God with us. That he's promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Growing up, there's a baseball player. I, I, I loved watching baseball growing up. I still enjoy it, but I uh, was a huge baseball fan growing up. And so as I got older and started reading some of the stories of some of these baseball players, uh, I know I'm going to drop a name. Nobody's going to know who he is. That's okay. Just, it's a good story. Uh, there's, a, there's a baseball player. He played for the Dodgers. His name was Oral Hershiser. Uh, he was a follower of Christ. Uh, and our, this, this season of his life, or this, this moment in his life, has always stuck with me ever since I read his autobiography when he related the last game that he ever played. If you're not a baseball player, if you're not a baseball fan, if you're not a sports fan, I think you can still imagine the analogy. He had experienced in his career some of the highest of highs, winning the World Series, being named the World Series MVP, being considered one of the greatest in the, at least the era in which he played, to now relaying a time where he's at the very end of his career, going from the heights to the trials, the hardships. I'm going to read you this story. It's a little bit lengthy, but, but hang with me. He says, instead of being on the threshold of doing something no major league pitcher had ever done, being the MVP of both the National League Championship Series and the World Series, I had just walked off the field for the last time. I'd given up eight, eight earned runs in less than two innings. I'd lost the ability to do my job effectively. Davey had come to, take, to the mound to take me out. And now sitting in the dugout, I could see Davey Johnson standing on the mound where I had just been, talking strategy with Carlos Perez, who had come in from the bullpen to try to salvage the game I had started. He's just seeing his whole career come to an end. And even though well-wishing teammates and coaches surrounded me, I felt completely alone. Well, actually, he says, not completely alone. The words from my pre-surgery press conference came flashing back. The God who was with me at the height is the same God who is with me right now. I knew this was still true. I had spent the last 17 years living a dream. Scanning Dodger Stadium, I carefully soaked in what, I could, what would be my last view from the dugout as a big leaguer. I closed my eyes. And I quietly sang, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. At the trial, hardship, the end of an era, he's like, I know, God is with me. And I can sing of his praises because even in this moment, it's not without hope. 
because God is at work and he's going to see even through this experience. That's not just true for him. It's not just true for Elijah. It's true for you and me as well. Even right now, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the uncertainty, God is with you. He has a purpose and he has a plan and he's seeing you through it. One of the reasons why we know and we can put our confidence and trust in knowing that that's true is because the turn that this story makes in the next little episode. Yes, God provides in unexpected ways and God often works in perplexing ways. But what you see in this very last analysis is that God actually has power over death. God has power over death. This widow, as she has been living in dependence and seeing God's faithfulness, now all of a sudden deals with one of the most tragic situations a parent could ever have is that her son has died in her arms and she's holding him. Who cares about flour and oil in that moment? But she calls to Elijah, fearful that somehow judgment has come upon her. Look at verse 18. She said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Isn't that the way in which we often respond to something that's falling apart, that somehow, somehow God's getting even with me? Somehow there's some sin that God has come to remembrance, that he's coming and there's payback now for this moment, and finally it's all falling apart. And Elijah himself, you know, the great man of God, this prophet, is, is perplexed as well. You know, he pleads to her, give me your son, and he takes him and carries him up to his own room And it says in verse 20 that he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon this widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? And this bizarre miracle, he stretches himself out on the child three times. Nobody really understands what's going on in this moment, but he cries to the Lord and says, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. It's a sense in which, like, Elijah is thinking, you know, like, God, why would you crush this widow after all that she's been through? Now you take her son. Why would you bring him through all of this type of trial and all of this hardship? Why would you do this now? And as he cries out to God, there's a sense in which God has a purpose that's not even known to Elijah, I think, even in this moment. You see, as I said a minute ago, Elijah's in, this, in, the, in the land of Zarephath, which is a land of Baal worship. If you were here last week, you know that, that Baal was the god that all of the foreign uh, entities would worship because they believed that Baal was the god of life. Baal was the god of fertility. Baal was the one who gave life to the land and to the people. And in this moment, as God is bringing a drought and showing that he's the one who provides for the land, God's also showing that he has power over life and death. That God has the power to reach into the grave and rob the grave, as you, could, as you would even say, and bring back the dead to life. It's the sign of this miracle is that it's pointing forward to a greater reality. It's one of the first miracles where we see the dead come back to life. And it's almost as though God is showing his people in this moment, I'm doing something that's only going to make sense later as the story unfolds. That death is not going to be the final experience for those whose trust is in Christ, but he actually has the power over even death. Jesus quoted this narrative in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus was alive and he was talking to the the Pharisees and the scribes, he tells them there were many widows in the days of Elijah, 
in Israel. There were many widows in Israel who Elijah could have went to, but God sent Elijah to a foreign woman, a Baal worshiper, who was an enemy of God in order to show her mercy. You see, God's not bringing her sin to remembrance in order to bring judgment. God is bringing her to a place where she can see that he is the one who reaches out for those who are lost and broken and utterly destitute in their sin and that he pursues those who have uh, complete dependence upon him for salvation. God has set his affection on this widow in order to give life to her, not just to feed her stomach, but to feed her soul. Notice the way the, the, the whole analysis ends. Elijah brings back her son and says in verse 23, see your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were living at, at odds with the Lord, while we were Pursuing our own thing is at the very moment that God would send his son in order to redeem us and to give us life. The trials that we endure, the hardships that we experience, they're not always going to get wrapped up neat and tidy the way that we might necessarily always think. But God's promise is that he's always with us because he sent his son to redeem us. Even when we were at, in, living at, at, in enmity, when we were living as rebels, as we're doing our own thing, if he would come and redeem us in that moment, then surely he'll work in and through us, even in the trials and the hardships of life. So my challenge to you, uh, my challenge to myself is in the days right now of uncertainty and hardship and trial, is to turn your attention to the Lord, see the work that he's done for you in Christ and know that his word is trustworthy and he'll provide for all that you need. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, we are thankful for your goodness and your kindness to us. And so we do ask that even as we consider your word and how it interacts with our life and the difficulties that we experience, uh, the uncertainty uh, of life, that you'll help us to know you, to trust you, to keep our hearts and our minds focused on you, and that we'll see the hope that's ours in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.